title of my paper, um, and maybe this is a little bit deceptive. It suggests more of a kind of a finished article other than the working paper bracket um, than maybe it really is. Um, Becoming Papa, Kinship, Senescence, and the Ambivalent Inward Journeys of Aging Men in the Antilles. Life for me was a journey, Scratchy declares, his distant contemplative expression failing to portray the matter-of-fact tone of his words. We sit, I on the concrete step leading down from the rusty galvanised gate that opens onto the road above, and he opposite on an overturned pail in the doorway of the small plywood house where he shares with his wife and two daughters. He exhales deeply. The smoke of his evening spliff wafts away above us with the breeze of the river that runs towards the Caribbean Sea beneath the hillside on which his yard sits. I begin to scribble away, frantically trying to keep up with his words. I believe no one can change the hands of time, he, con- he continues. The setting of time. Ja set his time, and he knows the road he set you on. Maybe, I, maybe the road I choose made me a better person today because the life I was living, I never thought today I would marry. I would be a family man, and today I am. You understand? That's why I told you my life is a story. I've been incarcerated more than 18 times. Every country I pass... I've been to 13 different countries without a passport. My life is a story. In December 2012, just the second month of my own fieldwork journey to the small, rugged, verdant island of Dominica in the Lesser Antilles, and my first encounter with Scratchy D, a short, stocky and lively, charismatic black man aged 37 from the village of Lubia, south of the capital Roseau on Dominica's west coast. Some of the young men of the village, upon telling them about my research project on men and family life, had enthusiastically informed me that I should record the story of Scratchy D, or old school, as they respectfully call him, a man who have lived plenty life already, as they tell me. The young men encouraged me to document his locally infamous life, his journey from being in the world, and I will expand on this idiom of being in the world below. That is, pulling up, hanging around on the block, on the ghetto, the often notorious youthful masculine space of the village in Dominica where young men pose or momentarily dwell, interact and vie for respect. They insisted that I learn about Scratchy's life of dealing and smoking crack cocaine, of theft and incarceration between Guadeloupe and Dominica. And then they insisted that I look to his more recent moral and spiritual reorientation, his inward movement into house and home and marriage, and his refashioning of self into a respectable figure of family man. In December 2007, five years before our interview, Scratchy was released from prison, for the last time, so he vowed. Days after his release, his mother had taken him to a well-known Catholic priest and renowned exorcist in the Roseau community of Newtown to rid him of the demon that she and much of the community had believed to be possessing him throughout his life of crime, a result of obia from some unknown source trying to malevolently, malevolently spoil him. However, to the mother's surprise, upon his assessment of Scratchy, the priest concluded that he was in fact not possessed. Rather, his disreputable past was the product of his own volition. Upon her learning of this, he recalls in detail the kind of a slap his mother had given him, a mother's slap, embodying the pain and the scorn of years of unnecessary upset, the stress and strain inflicted on the archetypically sacred bond between mother and son in the Antilles. In the months following his final stint of incarceration, Scratchy entered into what would become a secure conjugal union with the woman who was his first ever girlfriend during his early teens, and he began cohabiting with her and her eldest daughter. However, during this time, he continued to be drawn back into his previous life. And I quote, Since I came out from prison, I went back on like, still on the street, like selling drugs and selling weed, you know? I always want to be on the block. During the same year, his girlfriend fell pregnant with, his first chi- with their first child, But tragically, the child died during infancy. 
And I quote again. And I decided that was a sign. That was a wake-up call God was giving me. I told her, his wife, you know something? We're going to get married. We're going to start to, you know, live a different life. During the coming year, Scratchy proposed. They married and their daughter, Ange, was born. As our interview continues, charting the complex and contradictory contours of Scratchy's life thus far, he becomes progressively more philosophical. Much like the parable embedded tales I would later witness him sharing with the young men of the village when he occasionally takes a drink or pulls up, stops and talks with them on the block when cycling home from the quarry where he now works, Scratchy then takes a sip of his Guinness. He turns to me and he proclaims, Life. Life is a journey we have for bear. Life is a mountain we all have to climb. We all have our span to live in life. But that's why I ask Jar for a long life. I want to see my children grow. I want to see them graduate. I want to see them pull my beard. My grandchildren pull my beard. He gestures. Now that's how I want to live now, man. Two months after the interview, Scratchy's wife gave birth to their second child. Eight months later, Scratchy tells me his wife's first daughter, whom he also calls his daughter, and who calls him daddy, evincing the flexible Caribbean ethos of making and becoming kin. His daughter may have a biological father, but more significantly, he is daddy. He tells me she is pregnant and expecting a child. He excitedly informs me that he is soon to become a grandfather, marking the aspirations in the previous quote coming to fruition. Sorry, marking his aspirations in the previous quote coming to fruition. I offer this brief biographical snapshot of Scratchy's narrated life as an introduction to this paper because it presents in sharp relief a starting point in the senescent insular journeys I'm trying to preliminarily map in this paper. The journey is from the outside world of youthful male being, of itinerancy, of sexual encounter, multiple partners, and getting children. Because men in Dominica don't have children, they get children. Of work, of multiple occupations, of drinking, of liming, which Thomas Hill and Erickson has referred to as the art of doing nothing, that is hanging around on the street or the block or um, drinking by a bar. Of work and multiple occupations, of drinking... Sorry, I'm repeating myself. Um, of overseas sojourns, all of which comprise being in the world. So from this outside world, I've document, I'm, I hope to present the process of slowing down, of physically and psychically moving into the slower daily rhythm, into retirement, into a contracted field of movement between work and home, or the bay, or the veranda, into marriage, into the household and yard, into greater proximity with children and grandchildren, into interior reflection on the imminence of death and the finitude of life, the day of judgment, past abdications, the day of judgment, reflection on past abdications, responsibility and redemption. However, I wish to complicate this sketching of a linear deceleratory journey from being in the world to being a family man and grandfather by drawing attention to the elder man's imaginative narrative reenactments of past adventures, such as sexual escapades and spearfishing adventures that serve to attest to and remind the self and youthful listeners, including the ethnographer, myself, of an achieved sense of reputation in the world of peers, mm-hmm. a competence and mastery of the techniques of life as a young man. So, who is Papa? I've termed the paper Becoming Papa, but who is Papa, you may ask? What does it mean to be or become Papa in this context? Papa is a term of respect. Papa is a status. Papa means grandfather. The word is an interpersonal dialect term of address by grandchild to their grandfather. Papa, like maman, meaning grandmother, is a francophone creole term that's embedded in everyday English parlance of Dominicans, the majority of whom are bilingual, freely switching between creole and English. 
and has been described by some interlocutors as more of an affectionate term, an affectionate folk term for grandfather than the other commonly used grandpa and parallel granny. Thus, two parents' parents will often be referentially differentiated by one set taking the term granny and grandpa and one set taking the term mama and papa. In some instances, I'm told the former, more formalised terms, grandpa and grandma, may be given to a set of grandparents of higher societal standing. For example, those of high surname or those of well-to-do occupations and religious standing. Whilst the latter, papa and mama, evoke a more informal, everyday, proximate and even demonstrative presence. However, this differentiation is certainly not a rule and indeed some grandfathers of relatively high public status with close relationships to their children will be warmly referred to as papa. Papa connotes a quiet, gentle, even playful patriarchal presence in a home or family setting. He may be variably strict, demanding observance to manners or enough of the old British ways, as one one grandson said of his strict grandfather, his authority derives not necessarily from his actions, but the normative ideas giving meaning to his figurative role. His seniority demands the respect and regard ideally given to all elders in Dominica. This is most notably indicated by the stress placed upon adhering to greeting protocols. Good morning, good afternoon, good night. From a child or young person passing a group of elders. To not tell your grandparents good afternoon upon entering the house when coming home at lunchtime, the main meal of the day where families will often sit around together, is to invariably provoke a severe scolding. Similarly, as an adult, it is normatively important to check your elder parents or grandparents if you do not live with them, i.e. pay them visits, especially those you raised up with, to show you haven't forgotten them. Such visits, whether back to a native village if currently residing in town or when returning from overseas, should be furnished with a gift, i.e. clothing, food, cash or otherwise. It is frowned upon for a working person to visit beloved kin whom they see irregularly and walk with your hands swinging, i.e. that is empty. Um, To offer such material support is to extend a hand. It is to reciprocate upon the support you receive during your upbringing. This support extends to domiciliary and elementary care on the part of granddaughters and daughters um, should elder dependents require it. Grandmothers are more likely to receive such support than grandfathers, but grandfathers who, do, who did what they had to do, i.e. materially supported their children during their upbringing, can also expect such support during senescent years. As the most senior male fim- figure in the home or family network, Papa is a symbolic patriarchal head. Even if the majority of daily management of family affairs, finances, decision-making is undertaken by his wife or cohabiting common-law partner. His meals are prepared for him and his clothes are usually washed, often by a combination of his wife or common-law partner, his daughters or even adolescent granddaughters. It is this normative responsibility to provide cash and it is his normative responsibility to provide cash and provisions from garden or trees in the yard. Um, or provisions from animals in the yard as well, for example, chickens and, and, um, and rabbits um, for the home and to maintain and keep the yard and do repairs around the house with the assistance of any able-bodied male family member present. <clears throat> However, it's important to note that what I'm providing here is an impressionistic, generalised sketch of the position of Papa in relation to family and home. The ethnographic record on grandfathers in the Caribbean is remarkably scant. And as such, this propositional picture, the composite product of observation and conversation with a range of grandfathers and their kin during my time in Dominica, intends to simply simply give an idea of who the figure of Papa might be. This is an empirical groundwork to be complicated further in the course of this paper, 
further along in my, my research down the line and hopefully in future family research to come. Nobody's really written or spoken about grandfathers, only in passing um, in some of the more detailed, older ethnographic literature. Um, the likes of M.G. Smith, um, Enriquez, um, R.T. Smith and these people. Um, some caveats. Since I've already issued one caveat, let me offer one or two more before continuing. Firstly, I must emphasize that my agreeing to present to you today was somewhat ambitious. I arrived back from Dominica less than a week ago and only finished transcribing some of my quotes yesterday. Although agreeing to give this presentation some months ago, the more immediate preoccupations of fieldwork inevitably distracted me, um, and I only returned to today's themes a, week, a few weeks ago. Oops, I let slip a week. Um, as such, the content of today's presentation, whilst far from any claim of it being pre-analytic, whatever that might mean, my reflections are somewhat ethnographically raw and unrefined, lacking any complex theoretical apparatus, but I guess that's a good thing, right? Because the anthropology I've been disciplined into tells me to generatively grow my theory from autochthonous idioms or something like that. Um, therefore, what I offer is a small empirical step into the ethnographically unexplored world of elder male experience, as I've said. Um, but if pressed in the Q&A, I'm happy to share some of my ruminations on ideas about polyfocal rather than matrifocal families. I don't like this matrifocal family thing. I think it doesn't tell us enough. Um, and the ethos of pragmatism that I believe underpins the flexible and open-ended family forms um, of the region. Second, the pressing question of where are Dominican women in what follows? Are women not also itinerant during their young lives? Do they not sojourn overseas um, or discuss their adventures and experiences? Surely they're not bounded to the domestic domain as proponents of the matrifocal thesis have us believe. In addressing what Evelyn Blackwood has called the missing man narratives in Caribbean ethnography, an absent or peripheral, ethnographically obscure, um, obscured from family life, I've chosen to centre elder men as the narrating protagonists of this paper to document their being and becoming through their personal reflections. Um, this is not in some mas masculinist ide ideological attempt to reposition men as patriarchal figureheads of Caribbean families, um, but to retrieve elder men from the obscurity I've already described. Whilst women do move, um, normative ideas about ch chastity, respectability, um, that regulate female dress, comportment, pressures on girls not to be on the road outside their mother home, um, or to move around too much, risking being denigrated or called a salop or nasty, as it translates, um, demand women's movement, women in their movement to be more wily, I believe. Um, more so their movement involves migration between the country and town or overseas for work and education. Um, Karen Fogolwig has been doing a little bit of stuff on young women's experiences of migration from the Caribbean to the UK recently. Um, where they'll set up home alone with a conjugal partner or with aunts, sisters, uncle, etc. in the migrant destination. Elder women will also speak fondly and boastfully of their time up there, i.e. in England, Canada or them other big country. Um, contributing to their worldliness and respectability as a mature woman, yet more existentially secure in their homes. Um, often homes are referred to um, with the name of the most senior woman who lives in the home, i.e. mummy's house or mamam's house, whereas, men, whereas the yard surrounding the home is often referred to as daddy's yard. Um, so whilst, yet women, I, I, I pr propose, um, are more secure, existentially secure in their homes, um, I don't interpret their stories as the product of... Um, and as such, I don't interpret their stories as the product of ambivalent feelings in settling down into the home. Um, as you listen, however, I invite you to think of any comments that can assist me in working through some of these questions. As I said, I'm returning to Dominica very soon for four or five months, and so they may be very, very helpful. So let me begin. Men in the world, itinerant and outside. 
Blinking, Paddy opens his eyes. The children are no longer playing in the yard. Paddy's eyes follow a flock of blackbirds heading home. He thinks of flight, but to where now that he is in the deep, deep harvest of his life? All his life has been spent in flight, with laughter his shadow. He has never probed the reasons why of anything. He was always moving, in or out, gathering his few belongings and find some, finding somewhere else to rest his head. This extract from Jamaican writer Opal Palmer Adisa's Sun Song, the short fictional tale of Paddy, an elder Jamaican father of 20, who embarks on a redemptive journey to amend the paternal and conjugal abdications of his past, evokes the metaphor of flight to characterise his itinerant life of continual movement between lovers, communities and homes. This image of young men in motion, outside, on the road, moving between occupations, between multiple conjugal partners, and consequentially making babies in various communities, appears to repeat itself across the Antilles. P.J. Wilson, for example, notes of Providencia that males are very mobile, especially during the early years of their life. And Graham Dan refers to the Barbadian male being on the move, always the mobile partner in visiting relationships with female lovers and child mothers child mothers, in various locales around the island. When I asked Mr Billy, a fisherman, ex-banana estate labourer, father of five and grandfather of twelve, to describe his young life growing up in Roseau, Dominica's capital, he simply replies, I was a strong boy going all about, a town boy going all about. Mr Billy raised up in town with a maternal aunt and two uncles. He moved around during his youth doing various short-term jobs, flexibly shifting between different occupations, getting three children with three different women, each in a different community, and eventually got a job as a labourer on a banana estate next to Lubia, where he settled, got married, and made two further children with his wife. His young life was characterised by moving around doing various jobs whilst anchored in the consanguineal home base of his aunt, developing visiting relations with various women until he settled into secure employment and marriage and built a plywood house on a lot of marginal estate land his employer had given him by the bay. Mr Greg, a raster friend of mine in his 60s, is a father of two and grandfather of one. He lives alone in the densely populated working-class Roseau neighbourhood of Newtown in a single-room shack. He is an artist. He lost the use of his legs some years ago and as such spends each day sat on his colourful veranda with his artwork hung around him, either painting, speaking with friends, family and neighbours who pass or observing the daily traffic of persons and vehicles along the road on which he lives. I like reasoning um, the cooperative act of reflective discussion with Mr Greggs um, because he has an elaborate and unique way of framing things and his position in the community as a respected elder and his literal sedentary position on his veranda overlooking the passing world offering him, offer him a unique vantage point and location for reflecting upon and creatively interpreting the social milieu he inhabits. One day I ask him, why is there the perception that Dominican fathers, unlike grandfathers, are rarely present in the home? Well, you see, the father is not there lots of times you would find it happens a lot that a woman and a man is together. They make a child, and that's it. The man is not, he does not marry to the woman. He goes on with his life. It then becomes apparent to me that Mr. Gregg has launched into a hypothetical example. Like, like ethnographers, people in Dominica often offer illustrative examples to evidence the point they are making. It's common that people speak in parables when making a point. Figurative rhetorical form richly colours the art of oral delivery in Dominica and like the ethnographer in his or her analysis people will then offer an, elud an elucidating explanation of the tale's meaning if you're lucky otherwise its semantic openness offers humour and laughter and you must make sense of things for yourself so back to Greg's 
The man is not, he does not marry to the woman. He goes on with his life. Okay, that woman is in Portsmouth. That's the most northern city in Dominica. The most northern town in Dominica. Then, in moving around, he gets a chick from Grand Bay, which is in the southeast of the island. He then make two with her, because he's not married to her. He go on again. He goes on again. He might meet a woman from Vilcas, which is again in the north of the island. He makes three with her. Okay, <laughs> he chuckles. He not marry her. It's like the relationship does not reach in a way with the different women he's been going on with. Yet they live in a house together for some time. They don't see themselves enough as partners enough to get married. So as the relationship stops a certain time and he keeps on moving. She too, you know. When he, go, when he goes, she gets another man. Another man and again different children. Okay. The first time she might have two with Bill. Then after John. Then after Bill. Then after Bill go and he meet another woman in the next commune, two with John again. So you might find now all of them at the same time because John too leaves her and go on the next path. He might go Guadeloupe to work or whatever. To me, it's as if he's on the next planet. Now the mother now, she's surrounded by her brood. So you find in a family of so many, five children, each of them a different father. You know? Good. Greg's hypothetical conjugal island-wide tour featured many idioms of motion and reminds of the subtle embedding of language in dominant gendered ideas. His examples present men on the move, i.e. Moving, moving around, he goes on with his life, he goes, he keeps moving, he goes to, on a next path. Greg's tale is nuanced, since she gets another man only when he goes, and hence her movement is concealed or she is perceived to be stationary. Male movement is valorized and women silently marked or hidden. Female movement seems only apparent when she is with a man, i.e. Women, women he has been going on with, or the relationship did not reach. By contrast to men, since she, the mother, is surrounded by her brood, fundamentally her responsibility in the eyes of he and her family and community, her movement is often restricted. Whilst going on together in a visiting or cohabiting arrangement, the man is ideally expected to maintain her. He is fi- sorry, that is financially support her, and along with her, any children for him from previous or from previous relationships. However, his imperative to provide is put under strain if the conjugal relationship becomes disjunct and he may cease payments, especially if he finds a new partner and moves on, or she finds a new man to support her. Of course, again, idealised relations and dominant ideas rather than more complex lived biographical realities are presented in Greg's framing. But his use of pop- popular socially laden language is revealing of the gendered patterns and his own understanding of them as an elder man and spectator of his social world. From the perspective of their peers, men who go behind plenty women, that is pursue and succeed in sexual conquest, are denoted hot boys celebrated for their vigorous sexual appetite and charismatic technical skill in attracting women. The hot boy is revered, and he may even take on a legendary status to younger men in his village. Mr. Val, a retired police officer in his 70s, recalls of his youth in a small village to the north of Dominica. It seemed natural, you know, that we would gather in small groups and we would make up stories, you know, fantasize about having girlfriends and how many girlfriends we had and how many we had sex with and all that. You know, you always wanted to go one over on your friends. It seemed the natural thing to do, because that was what men did in those days. So you would hear of a man, for example, fathering ten children by eight different mothers. And, and you know, he was something of a celebrity. Okay, this is a father that, this chap, this chap is hot man. Therefore, what Artie Spiff writes of Guyanese men in the 1950s, and I quote, 
for a man to have children all about is a matter of pride rather than shame, for it, prov- for it proves he is a man strong and virile, close quote, appears to be a celebrated ideal of an earlier generation of Dominican men too. Um, I didn't really talk too much about transforming ideas about numbers of, um, numbers of children and maintenance. Um, I haven't put too much of that in the presentation, but if we want to talk about that after, then I'd be happy to. Um, because it seems like there's a shift in terms of fatherhood from men being valorized for having much much greater numbers of children um, to now having smaller families and a number of children who they're perceived to be able to maintain. Mm. <clears throat> um, but it's not just having children all about being a hot boy or being a young boy all around that constitutes male being in the world. Also, liming, pulling up and drinking, chatting cochonet or rubbish, as it translates, by the road with your friends, um, even for a married man, seemingly, seemingly living the life of a family man can be seen as being more committed to the outside world of peers and work than of his wife and children. For example, Mr. Weeks, a police inspector in his 50s and grandfather of four, including a step-grandson who he's close to as a result of his later remarriage, um, looks back on his fatherhood and his first marriage, admitting he was residing in a home yet living in the world. I cannot attribute that to work. There's a time you leave work, you have to be with the family. So you're out liming, you know? You're out liming, you're drinking, you know? You're in the world, you're in the world. You come to sleep in the home. The same thing I'm telling you, you put a little money in the home and you give the wife a little money and you think that's it. But that doesn't make you a father. That doesn't make you a father. Being in the world is a morally ambiguous, open-ended idiom. It connotes, on the one hand, moving around, being poised, dynamic and ready to react to opportunities or creatively bring them into being. It can be interpreted on a continuum, from a local sense of liming on the road in one's village, um, to being in town or elsewhere on the island, making movements in search of work, to a cosmopolitan sense of being overseas on a neighbouring island or in their big country, trying to make a fast money. It is, val- it is a valorised asset of youthful male being to be in the world. <clears throat> It is to see what you can take from the world, developing skill and technical know-how, the art of survival, as a young man on the move, without responsibility. However, as a man matures, grows older and moves into marriage or a cohabiting union, he's expected to no longer be all about. His commitment is no longer to himself, his peers and the things of the world, the vices and vanities. Instead, a powerful moral concept of responsibility may begin to develop and his orientation may shift to the interior world of kin. As Christine Barrow notes... The symbolic space of masculinity is located outside in the public domain, on the street or at a line. But in later life, as men are expected to give up womanizing and settle down to a steady co-residential union, masculinity, is in, masculinity also encompasses the role of family man, ascribed as authority figure, decision maker, economic provider and protector. Close quote. Okay, inward senescent journeys. <clears throat> Mr. Polly is a towering lean man of 76 years. He cannot read or write, but communes daily with God and claims to know the Bible by heart. He is a retired driver for a supermarket in town, that is Roseau, the capital of Dominica, and survives on his modest monthly pension. He lives with his wife and two grandchildren in a small informal daycare. She runs in their two-bedroom blockhouse by the bay. And that's where he sat, he sat on the veranda of their house. Um, his grandchildren and all of the children in the daycare affectionately call him Papa. He spends his time between his chair just inside the doorway interacting with the children, on the veranda greeting passing neighbours and friends, and by the bay, where from about 5pm daily, he and the elder men of the village can be found sitting and conversing in Creole. Yep, that is the bay there. Sitting 
Where am I? By the bay, where from about 5 p.m. daily, he and the elder men of the village can be found sitting and conversing in Creole and watching the fisher folk of the village cast out their nets. Mr. Polly used to go fishing each Saturday and move between the sea, his garden, his cows and pigs, supporting his mother as a young man before she migrated to England. Mr. Polly often tells me Bible stories and advises me to live right, to hide a penny and to stay out of debt and to fear the day of judgment. Extending the knowledge, wisdom and understanding he, attained, he obtained from God and elder people of the village who, raised, who he raised up with. Mr. Polly knows he has lived an honest life in the eyes of God. He turns to me one day when I sit with him by the bay reflecting as he's reflecting on his life journey. Boy, I passed a lot in my lifetime, boy. I passed a lot in my life. But by the grace of God, I make it. My mind is not in the world again, you know. My mind is not in the world. My mind is up. He regularly reminds me that he is ready to meet his maker. His journey in the world is complete. Confident that he has lived a good life, a God-fearing life, he reflects, he reflects that divine providence has, providence has brought him unscathed through the many guaye or struggles of his life and his, consciousness has transcend, and his consciousness has now transcended from this realm. For many men, the kind of reflection on, this kind of reflection on the finitude of life to think of Scratchy's ref- references earlier to J- Jar's time earlier on. Um, the imminence of death and the impending day of reckoning leads them to reflect retrospectively on their life and to take stock, as one grandfather put it to me. Much like Opal Palmer Adisa's Paddy in his journey of salvation, healing past wounds with his daughters and ex-partners in the final days of his life. It may be for this reason that elder Caribbean men become closer to their adult children and grandchildren later in life. And in fact, as Ford Smith illustrates, a grandfather, as a grandfather, he may become more effective, close and intimate with his grandchildren than he was with his own children. The psychiatrist MJ Diamond argues that, a man, that as a man moves through senescence, he may begin to, and I quote, embrace the previously rejected gender dimensions of himself by giving way to the expressive, connective and disclosing modes of his being. In Dominica, many of the elders and parents I spoke, to, I spoke with echoed this highlighting in particular that many of them become less strict with their grandchildren than they were with their now adult children before them. Mr. Greggs again, he asserts, and I quote, they're a kind of a softer. Sometimes your mother and father will be hard on you, more strict, and the grandparents will go, will go down and allow you to get, you know, to get free. More liberty. They have great liberty with the grandparents. They have great liberty with the grandparents, yeah, than the offspring, than the direct offspring. Yeah, the grandparents can jump all over. They can do a lot of little... Sorry, the grandchildren can jump all over. They can do a lot of little mess-up things, and it's taken for granted. Okay, let the children play. And another quote. Well, not that it's bad, the strictness, because there's that basic thing. One does not want their children to go astray. Not that one wants their... Not that one wants their children, their, their grandchildren to go astray, but it is a soft, you know, because maybe more age, you know, and more knowledge and so on. That, I think, is because of that. Similarly, when fixing my bicycle with, bicycle with, with Vince one day, a raster in his 30s who lives with his common law, common law partner and their eight-year-old daughter, I ask if Hal, the, his widower father, is different with his daughter as a grandfather than he was with Vince as a father. Vince replies... Yeah, to me, plenty of things, you know. As the child could never... As, as the child, you could never... You, sorry. 
Yeah, to me, plenty of things you, as the child, could never escape with, she escaping with it. Was your father strict before, I ask him. Uh-huh, if my father was strict before, he replies an emphatic rhetorical question or statement, meaning yes in no uncertain terms. And I continue to quote. They have that ability from that time, and by that time he means this time, the present. They have that ability from that time. They, the child, can do almost what they want, and they're getting away with it, scotch-free. Whereas you now, then times there before, had no time. Get away with what? And that's stoops, which is a sign of, um, well, just kissing, kissing your teeth is hard to, hard to describe. It's kind of a universal Caribbean thing of kind of a, what's the word, dis, kind of dis, dis, disdain or something. No. Anyway, get away with what? Stoops. You'd get blows in your ass and you'd get blows in your ass. Vince continues. I believe it's a, it's a game to him now. It's an amusement park. Everything is an amusement park at that level. So in other words, they have fun together. Fathers are expected to be a figure of authority and even feared. They're the final arbitrators of discipline in the home. The popular Caribbean mother's threat, wait till your daddy come, signifies that fathers are responsible for correcting, sculpting and guiding their children. Freed from that normative role, however, as grandfathers, elder men can develop more playful, intimate and effective relations with their grandchildren. At this point, you can see a picture of of another grandfather, Gus, who's a security guard who I'll speak about later. Um, and each day he goes on the floor with them, as he describes it, um, with his grandchildren after a, a long day of work as a security guard in town. He comes and relaxes and then normally falls asleep, the children having more stamina at play than him. <laughs> on this note, Mr. Greggs adds, grandchildren bring a lot of joy, builds up a lot of positive vibrations in the family, but you know something? A grandfather, grandfathers love their children. So I ask, why do you think they love them so much? Like they see as if it is for them, as if it's a gift, and as if it's an extension. It's like there's a special love for the grandchild. It's like my mother too, and my sisters, for example, too. It's a family extension. Everybody does feel nice, you know? It's like my sister's children, I'm their uncle. They love that, and I love it too. In simple terms, children as new additions to the lineage produce feelings of, effectual, of mutual affectivity generationally down and up. I asked Mr. Greggs, when, do you, when you say grandchildren are an extension, do you mean an extension of the person? Before I can finish my question, he responds, extension of the father, the, the grandfather and the grandmother. They feel happy. They feel nice to know as if it is in their footsteps. It's an extension, you know? It's extremely common in Dominica that grandparents will call their grandchildren my child or my children and elders will refer to their grandchildren as will refer to somebody's grandchildren as Zonfan Pou Greg, for example, which means child for Greg. Um, demonstrating that a generational flattening um, that I believe demonstrating a generational flattening that I believe evinces the close and and demonstrative relations that exist between grandparents and grandchildren. When I probed one grandfather, one grandfather um, to ask why he calls his grandson, his grandsons, my children, he, refers to, he responds by telling me that many of his generation were raised by grandparents after their parents went to England. So grandfather pragmatically becomes father. And I quote, what you're saying is the children are a product, close quote. What you're saying is the children are his product, close quote. That is, they are his lineal descendants and hence extensions of him my final section ambivalently inside one day I sit with Gus on his veranda 
a quiet security guard in his 60s and father of four and grandfather of seven, pictured lying on the floor in this slide. Um, I ask him how his life has changed since becoming a grandfather. He lives with three of his granddaughters, two adult daughters and his wife. He notes that he doesn't go out so much with friends as he used to. He says he used to go out spearfishing with brothers, with his brother and friends on the West Coast, bodybuild with another group of friends, and pull up and chat with a fellow security guard at a nearby gas station during his Friday night walk home. He says he doesn't lime or go out anymore. His daily rhythm of, of work home, of work, home for lunch, lunch, sorry. His daily rhythm of work, home for lunch, work, home, yard work, dinner, sleep, and this cycle continues, um, offers little time in between. And only on his day off on a Sunday does he have time to sleep and watch cricket um, or westerns and play with his grandchildren. His cyclical rhythm of work home, work home, reflects the stoic discipline of the archetype family man between work and home, not lingering or skylarking in the world. But it's not good to be too homely, Gus suddenly tells me. People always want to know where you're going, what you're doing, notably his wife and daughters, used to his daily presence in the home after work. The conversation then moves to spearfishing. His eyes light up as he enters into a tall, boastful tale about his diving adventures further down the west coast, jumping on his friend's motorbike with a spear gun in hand, flippers and snorkel in his pack, and off they go. He mentions encounters with sharks, his ability to hold his breath longer than any of his friends, and the big catches that he would proudly return with, carrying a full kwai, which is the fish wire on which they'll hang different fish that they catch, um, with, an, with an assortment of fish hanging from it, um, for all to see as his friend drove them back at high speed along the coastal road to his home. Back then, we never, we never bought fish from the market, he proudly states. He pauses, then quietly but resolutely says more to himself than me. I want to go back to it. His retrospective tale reminding him of a sense of adventure he once felt, a, satisfa- a, a satisfaction of his roving self. The satisfaction of his roving self. However, whilst bringing about a sense of nostalgia during the moment of sharing his... During, However, whilst bringing about a moment of nostalgia, during the moment of sharing his story of adventure and danger, of encounters with sharks and bringing home fish for his wife and children, he was reminded of, past, of his past competence, his technical skill and achieved sense of being outside in the world, on the move and independent. His imaginative, retrospective, internal journey back into his memory served to bring him a sense of achievement in this world and bring this sense of achievement into the present. As his young, captivated audience, listening intently to his tale, me, me, a young man in the world not yet settled into mature life, his reputation is valorized and reinforced. Mm. Okay, so this is where I've got one last thing, but my notes kind of end, so I've got to freestyle a little bit. Um, so the final person who is Mr. Randy, who's the gentleman to the right side of me, just there. So, Mr. Randy is a tall, broad-framed man in his late 70s. He sits most days um, playing patient in his quiet rum shop card game. He is a man of high surname, Shillingford, a large land-owning elite family. He inherited his house, which is this beautiful ornate building on the left, um, I believe 18th century French-style architecture. Um, uh, He inherited his house from his father, and it's now a rum shop. He now converted it to a rum shop. It used to be a school before, but now he's now reverted it to a rum shop since they built a larger school in the village where he lived. 
He retired back to Dominica after 40 years in England. He went up in his 20s um, and has children and grandchildren up there. Uh, he's in his second marriage. Um, he lives with his wife, who's in her 50s, and step-granddaughter lives with them too, moving between their house he has in Colliho, um, which is halfway up the west coast, um, north of Roseau, but south of Portsmouth, which is the, which is the north, main northern village as I mentioned before. Um, and he lived, yeah, so he lives in Collier and spends most of his days with one or two elders, like I said, playing cards and chatting. Um, he's a close friend, as I haven't mentioned before. Um, my grandfather is from this village in Collier, um, and he's a close friend of my deceased grandfather. Um, they grew up in the same village. Um, and so whenever I got there, I always take a drink with him. Um, and when I visit cousins and aunts, and the young men from the village, including one of my cousins, often congregate outside smoking and chatting. And so we'll smoke, we'll talk through, you can't really see because it's quite dark there, but the bottom windows open out onto the road, and then there's a step just here. So on this step is where a lot of the young men will sit around and they'll smoke ganja and chat with their friends, and they'll steal Wi-Fi from a little shop across the street. Um, and then he'll sit inside normally with his friends. And so my cousin will normally perch on the outside amongst his friends, and I'll move between them and inside chatting with, chatting with both groups. Um, um, so one, one particular afternoon, um, we're sat drinking a beer, like I said, with a cousin of mine and also a cousin of his, who's a similar age to him. And he tells a story of a, of a time when he was in England as a young man working on the gas board um, in East London. So he met a Ghanaian girl who caught his eye, um, and they'd been getting on very, very well. And one Friday after work, they went out together. So they ended up going back to hers. He found out that she was married and that she had a husband. And so as they were getting into it, as he says, the doorbell suddenly rang. So he's telling us this story, and there's, the, there's one or two young men standing around, and there's one or two elder, elder folks in the, in, in the bar as well. The doorbell suddenly rang. He says he's never seen somebody gather up so many clothes quite so quickly and stuff them through the back window of her ground floor council estate house, um, believing her husband to be at the door and about to discover her infidelity because he lives in Ghana and she believed that he'd travelled back, hence the ring on the doorbell because it's rare that she gets, gets guests. So after pushing all of his clothes out of the window, she then proceeded to push him um, in his birthday suit um, in full nudity out into, onto, the, um, onto the balcony below. So he fell naked onto the balcony. He looks up and he tells me how he saw a white woman stood on the balcony smoking a cigarette and she was there drinking a cup of tea laughing at him. So he told her to F off, gathered up all of his clothes, dressed and ran for his life before the husband came after him. The following week in work, um, he saw the young lady again and it was revealed to him that it was not, in fact, her husband that was coming back from Ghana, but a cousin from a nearby town who was just visiting for the weekend. And so they wouldn't have got in trouble at all. But the ludic tale told in a much more captivating and maybe more crude and hilarious style than I was able to offer today had us all in stitches. Hot boy, my cousin shouts loudly and exclaims in a playfully manner, reminding Randy of his achieved sense of as a journeyman and hot boy who's experienced plenty life already. In conclusion, the sketching I have offered here seeks to give an illustrative, as I mentioned, yet complicated picture of the deceleratory journey of elder men as they move from being in the world, on the move all about, to being a family man and grandfather, an everyday presence in house and close, effective lives of their grandchildren.
by highlighting to the by highlighting the elder, elder man's imaginative reenactments of past adventures, secular encounters overseas, thrilling local spearfishing episodes that remind him of that remind the narrating self and youthful listeners, including the ethnographer, of an accomplished sense of respect in the world of peers, a mastery and proficiency of the techniques of life as a young man. And that is the end. <laughs>